0: around the world. The last great message of the Creator is being carried with the mighty power of His enabling Spirit. Millions in Russia, America, Africa, Australia and 200 other countries are saying yes to Christ. Where people once languished in the valley of the shadow of death, the light of the everlasting gospel is now shining. John and Beverly Carter, whose calling has led them to minister in many countries, now invite you to join them for an exciting hour of discovery as the Word of God brings hope in despair, light in darkness, meaning in confusion, joy in sorrow, and life in death. Welcome to the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis was written three and a half thousand years ago in the Hebrew language. It was written by a man who was born and educated in Egypt. His name was Moses. Moses is an Egyptian word. Uh, It is possible that he was even called Happy Moses. that means born of the god of the river Nile. But Egypt gave birth to this man who wrote the book of Genesis. Moses became a great writer, a great poet, a great philosopher, a great general, a great prince and a great historian. He wrote the book of Genesis. It contains the wisdom of the ages. It is the story of the origin of the human race. It is a story of love and hate, nobility and treachery it is the story of man at his best and man at his worst. People say what has happened to America? What has happened to the American dream? What has gone wrong with the home? What has gone wrong with society? How does one deal with issues like violence and rape and incest? And lying and slavery and injustice. Genesis gives the answer because Genesis talks about violence and rape and incest and lying and slavery and injustice. Everyone is aware some vaguely, some acutely, that something is radically wrong with human nature. There is something wrong with every one of us. What is the problem? To right the wrongs of the world and the wrongs of our own hearts, we have tried and we continue to try politics. Hey, if we get a new president then we're going to have a new social agenda and everything is going to be okay. And we will get rid of racism by more laws. And we will get rid of crime by more money into the cities. We have tried politics. We have tried religion. And some of you are still trying religion in this church. But you haven't tried God. And there's a big difference between organized religion and the God of the Bible. So, we have tried politics, religion, psychology, psychiatry, philosophy, etc., 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 and somehow we recognize that we have not solved the human dilemma, and this is discussed in the book of Genesis. I would suggest to you today that Genesis the first book of the Bible may contain those great truths that will deliver us from our fears and our confusions and answer the question, what is the meaning of life? I ask you as you watch on television, what is the meaning of your life? What is the meaning of your life, my brother? What is the meaning of your life, my sister? Have you got a purpose to your existence? Why are you here A comedy was put together by an English actor whose name is John Cleese. It would not hurt you to see it if you understood what I'm saying today. It is called the meaning of life. It is scandalous, it is irreverent and much of it is true. One of the scenes that I will never forget is where there's a lady in the kitchen you see it's a comedy and some of you know John Cleese he's a tall skinny Englishman who is very funny and who is very unbelieving and very skeptical not skeptical just an unbeliever and there's a lady in the kitchen and she she's got her hair in her antenna she has her hair in curlers And she's making the breakfast and she goes to the little English refrigerator and opens the door and a man is in the refrigerator. The English are a cold people they say. (laughs) And she opens the door and the man gets out and he starts to sing a very catching little ditty. And he opens up the window, and she takes him by the arm, and they step out and they travel through the universe. And as he goes along, he sings, Over here you see the Pleiades, over here you see Orion. And the question is asked, Who made it all? And the answer is a swear word. Who knows? What's the purpose of it? Who knows? And he comes back, holding, she's holding his arm. she's still got her hair and curlers, and she's been right across the universe, and she comes through the window of the English cottage, and uh, she opens up the door of the refrigerator, and he gets inside the refrigerator, and that's the close of that scene. And then the movie explores those issues that are close to our heart. Human sexuality. Is that the meaning of life? promiscuity. Then it has a funeral with the Anglican clergyman turning dust to dust, ashes to ashes. Is that the meaning of life? They go to the center of London where the money is made and they see the people in the Rolls-Royce car. Is that the meaning to life? And they go through many aspects of, of human existence. And in the end John Cleese comes on camera and he gives a speech and he says, now we are talking here about the meaning of life. And uh, what is the meaning of life? Well, the meaning of life is, well, what is the meaning of life? Uh, who, uh, I don't, well, I don't, well, And that's the end of the movie. And you laugh. But people in Britain that philosophically is probably 50 years ahead of the United States for all the bad that that implies... People say, what is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What is the purpose to human existence? Listen, my friend, unless you know why you are here and where you came from, then you will be a very jaded, bored individual. And the reason people in the world are so jaded and so bored and so disillusioned and so cynical is because they do not know the meaning to life. The book of Genesis tells you the meaning to life. A great theologian friend of mine said to me on one occasion, the greatest sickness of our time is meaninglessness. Meaninglessness. One other philosopher said, and rightly so, God died in the 19th century and man died in the 20th. The death of God or the death of belief in God always leads to the death of man. Spiritually, physically, socially, in every other way. I am horrified when I see on television children of 10 and 11 who are murderers. In Los Angeles there are children who shoot who kill with a gun and they're 10 or 11 years of age and some misguided individual will say oh it's not their fault it's your fault it's society's fault there's no personal responsibility it's not the person's fault it's not the parents fault it's Washington's fault baloney And you look into the faces of these children and there is no guilt, no remorse. General Colin Pell said what America needs is a rebirth of shame. Shame. Honor. There are some things that are honorable. There are some things that are shameful. And people don't have shame and they don't have honor because they do not know the meaning of life. The book of Genesis tells you that life is not meaningless but there is a plan. Now this talk is made to fit in with the talk I gave recently on Genesis versus Darwin. This is number two in the series. And please turn to some of the most important words ever written. Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. And I want you to take this seriously today. And I want you to take your Bible. And I want you please to turn to your text. We're not talking here platitudes. We're not telling you baby stories. We're not telling you nursery rhymes. We are telling you the word of God. And we're exploring the meaning of life. Genesis 1 and verse 1. Dear hearts and gentle people. The Bible says. In the beginning. God created the heavens. And the earth. In the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Listen to me. You must assume the existence of God or nothing makes sense. Without God, there is no meaning to life. Without God, John Cleese is right. And the man in the refrigerator is correct. You must, listen to it again, you must assume the existence of a caring personal God Or nothing makes sense. Listen to this. We rely upon the mind to form conclusions, do we not? The mind is the mechanism whereby we reach conclusions. If the mind is the result of chance, blind chance, a spontaneous generation, if the mind is the product of blind chance, then my friend, you have no right to rely upon it for your conclusions. Then the mind cannot be trusted, man cannot reason, we can come to no conclusions about anything if there is no God. And this is the very thing that has happened in the world as far as the philosophers and the artists and many of the psychiatrists and psychologists are concerned. They say there is no meaning to existence because we are simply a planetary eczema and not but potential fertilizer. And we are simply the end product of time plus matter plus chance. But the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Schaefer, one of the great Christian writers of the 20th century in the great book, the God who is there that every parent ought to read if you want to understand the generation gap. It is not easy to read, but the hardest things in life are the best things in life are the hardest to attain. And in his book, the God who is there says that 20th century man is a man in a round room. And the room has got no light and has got no windows and the man has gone round and round and he cannot get out. And the reason we have crime and all of these terrible problems in the cities of America and often in our own is because man has forgotten the text in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. I say again, it is a true statement that God died in the 19th century for many and man died in the 20th century. The death of God always leads to the death of man. And I heard one man whom I won't mention But a politician say, in Washington this week on C-SPAN, it is true, we've tried everything. It is time we believed that there is a God who made us. Our 20th century is not an accident. It is not an accident that the 20th century is the most brutal century in the history of the human race. It is because of the collapse of belief in God. Some months ago, with Elder Matico and Beverly, I visited Babi Yar in Kiev, the capital of the Ukraine. It's where the Nazis, who had successfully divorced their lives from God, herded all the Jews and all the leaders of Ukraine and brought them to a ravine and had them stand on the side of the ravine and in one event killed 100,000 of them. They're buried in Babi Some say 250,000 people were butchered there at Babi by men who said, there is no God, there is no meaning to existence. Thus came the doctrine of the Nazis. I'm reading this week a book on the KGB because of my interest in Russia. And because of my interest in Bible prophecy, don't count Russia out. She is going to become a major world player again. And I believe she is going to become a great dictatorship. And I believe that religious liberty is going to cease. That is why we're going on the Trans-Siberian Express next week to give out Bibles and medicines. To light the light while the light can be lit. But it talks about the KGB and even today how they treat people. The beatings. It talks about one old man. Dare I tell you the story? An old soldier whom they said had betrayed them. Held from behind by two strong KGB men. And the rest, the other two, with their fists, with knuckle dusters, started below, breaking his genitals then breaking his kidneys and then bursting his bowels and then turning him around and breaking his bones. Why? Because there is no God. The death of God leads to the death of man. You cannot understand the meaning for your own life if you don't have God in your life. The Bible says in the beginning... God created. This text reminds us that everything has a beginning except God. God has no beginning and no end. When did this happen? Now I'm going to give you the best in my understanding in harmony with scripture and the latest discoveries of astronomy. It is beyond debate that the Big Bang took place. Thank God. Did you know today that scientists, atheists, humanists, Christians believe, all believe in the Big Bang? I have no doubt about it. Einstein at one stage did not believe in the Big Bang. What is the Big Bang? It is creation. It is when the universe started. There was a time when there was zero. And then in a blinding millisecond there was a vast universe. That is believed today by communists, atheists, humanists. Einstein believed in the steady state of the universe theory. He believed that matter had always been there. And the universe had always existed. And then a scientist came to the great Jewish-German Einstein and showed him the red shift that you would all be familiar with because light as you know can be broken up by a prism and light is broken up into various colors and when light is analyzed from distant stars and planets one can see how the light is changed by the movement of that object. It is called the red shift. And he said to the great professor Einstein, look at these photographs taken with the telescopes. They show that the universe is moving at an incredible speed. And all the galaxies in the universe are moving away from our galaxy, some of them at almost the speed of light. It is called the expanding universe. It is like a gigantic cracker. And the cracker has exploded and everything is bursting out and continues to move. On the outer edges of the universe, the galaxies are moving at almost the speed of light. Scientists, this is not speculation, can reverse mathematically the process. And they have discovered that this big bang took place between 8 billion and 20 billion years ago. Until very recently most astronomers thought 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe 20 billion years ago the universe was born. Latest discoveries of the Hubble Space Telescope indicate that the universe may only be eight, ten billion years. A billion of course is a thousand million. And Einstein when he looked at the pictures said, there must have been a beginning. Scientists had said, no beginning. It has always been there. The eternal existence of matter. It has always been there. But then there came this revolutionary shift in the thinking of the great scientists. And almost every scientist today is in harmony with the words, In the beginning. There was a creation. The agnostic says, In the beginning there was a creation. And I don't know how. The great Professor Mill, the great mathematician from Britain said, In the context of of expansion, it is left to us to ask the question, Who? But our knowledge is incomplete without him. And this verse is a scientific verse. I say to the person who is watching the television program who doesn't believe the Bible. The first verse in the Bible is a scientific statement in the beginning. There was a point back there when the universe was made by the hand of God. And I believe this verse is pointing to the Big Bang. I believe that we are dealing here with scientific truth. Some time ago, Beverly and I were sitting in our living room and we were watching PBS. And there was a program on astronomy. If anything excites me, it is astronomy. And the program was called The Echo of Creation. Not a Christian program. The echo of creation. It said that when scientists sent out their uh, satellites around the world and out into the solar system, they thought there was something wrong with the instruments because they heard this buzzing noise. And wherever their instruments out there on Mars going past Venus towards the sun, on the earth, They heard this buzzing noise. They know what it is. They know what it is. Doesn't this get you excited? Have you got no blood? It is the echo of the big bang. What a bang! When you can hear it, 15 billion years after. They call it the echo of creation. In Australia, we have a custom that when we stand on a hill, that's surrounded by other hills or mountains or cliffs, we cup our hands and shout, cooee. I can do it very loud, but out of sympathy for the men in the television truck and the people in the front seat, I will exercise suitable ministerial restraint. But it goes like this. Now one does it much louder. And as you stand on the hill and you shout, Coo a second later you hear, Coo It is the echo. God has placed in the universe. A coup ee of creation. Here you have evidence that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and if this verse is true and if you heard nothing else in this sermon and you had better but if you heard nothing else in this sermon my friend here is evidence that there is meaning to life. Because There is a creator, God. I want you to think about it. God was there 20 billion years ago. He's very old. The word that is used to create, God created, is the Hebrew word barar. That always describes the activity of God, never man. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 number one denies spontaneous generation, that hydrogen plus a few other elements plus enough time will turn into people. It denies spontaneous generation. It denies pantheism. Pantheism has become popular today. Oh God is in the loaf of bread. Uh, God is in me. Uh, God is in uh, the mosquito. Uh, God is in the butterfly. Uh, God is in everything that is pantheism, God is not in everything God made everything. God is distinct from creation God is not in the tiger, God made the tiger the spirit of God may permeate everything but that is not pantheism and we do not believe in pantheism and this text also tells us something else matter is not eternal there was a starting point There is a great text in the Bible that says, For he spoke, he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Uh, I'm not an authority on energy and matter because I'm not a physicist. But I have been told that everything, every piece of matter, contains energy. I've forgotten the statistics but I had them once I used to preach a sermon on a golf ball. I'd bring a golf ball along to church and I'd tell the people that atomically speaking if you were to take the golf ball and get all the energy out of it, it's enough to keep the lights going on in Los Angeles for about three years. That's in about one ounce of matter. Now this is illustrated by the hydrogen bomb, or the atom bomb. You take a few pounds of uranium, and much of the energy in that uranium is released. And if you drop it on Los Angeles, there's no Los Angeles anymore. So everything, and this is a scientific fact, everything contains energy. Now the converse is true. If you have this much uranium to make an atom bomb, And if it makes that tremendous explosion, that tremendous force, you need more than that force to make that bit of uranium. Think how much energy you need to make a universe. God is so great and God is so mighty that God doesn't fashion things with his hands. God just speaks. And when he speaks, God says, let there be a tiger. And there's a tiger. God says, let there be a sun and a moon and stars and it'll be so. It happens. And this verse tells us the immense power of God. I want you to think about this today. Let's try to bring this down to our own lives. Is somebody here today struggling with a problem? I struggle with problems and sometimes I feel overwhelmed. That is because I lose the sense of the reality of God. But God is infinite. A God who can make a universe and universes of universes can help you to pay your rent. God is not a little God. Would you come now to Genesis 1 and verse 2? Genesis 1 and verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Uh, This describes the earth in its chaotic condition. There is no reason why we should not separate in time Genesis 1-1 from Genesis 1-2. So in Genesis 1-1 you have the creation of the whole universe. And then in Genesis 1-2 and for the next six days you have the creation of this planet. He fashions here the chaos into cosmos. Uh, the King James Version says the Spirit of God brooded over the face of the waters. That is not the best translation there. The NIV says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters like an eagle hovering over its birds to show care and protection and so here we have chaos at verse three and onwards and God said what a voice what a voice God said God speaks God said let there be light and there was light God saw that the light was good and he separated the light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. During the first day, we have the creation of light upon the formless mass. How long were these days? We can only discover the length of these days in the context of scripture. Many scholars, whom I appreciate, try to harmonize this chapter with evolution. Uh, They say these days cannot be ordinary days, they've got to be millions, even billions of years, because it could not have happened any other way. And so they try to harmonize these verses and this chapter with evolution. I want to say today I don't even want to try to harmonize these verses with evolution because I believe that evolution is one of the greatest hoaxes in the history of the human race. I don't believe in evolution. If you listen to my talk, watch my talk, Darwin versus Genesis, you will see that evolution is unscientific and mathematically impossible. So I don't even try to harmonize these verses with evolution. I believe that from the context of this chapter and from Exodus 20, when the Bible says the evening and the morning, those periods, that was the first day, or the second day, or the third day, I believe it is referring to 24-hour days. Now let me read on with you a little further, and I want to go through these verses. I want you to come now to the next verses, and I think that's verses 6 to 8. Uh, Genesis 1, verses 6 to 8. God said, let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above it. And it was so. God called the expanse sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. This is a very interesting verse. I'd like to just mention what I believe it talks about. It says that God separated the water from the water. There is a theory that I personally believe, though you cannot prove it, Uh, definitely, but there is a theory that seems to make sense. That when it says that God separated the water from the waters, God put some of the water into the sea and the rest of the water he put out there around the earth. That's what the Bible says. And this water around the earth was like a vast canopy. And as the sun shone through this water these billions of tons of water hanging out there in space, it transformed the earth into a subtropical climate. There's evidence for this, because if you go up to the frigid regions in Siberia, you will find there the remains of, of great animals that can only live in a warm climate. Also, in some of the coldest places of the earth, There's evidence that once upon a time there were massive forests. And so I believe that because of this canopy that hung around the earth when God separated the waters from the waters, this earth was a paradise with a magnificent climate like Sydney in Australia all the time. Now I want you to read on verses 9 to 13. And God said... Let the waters, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. What a noise that must have made. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathering gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Everything he did was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. Notice that expression. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good, and there was evening And there was morning the third day. What an amazing day this must have been when the earth became covered with marvelous vegetation. There's an expression that is used here that I want you to remember. The Bible says everything was made to reproduce. How? After their kind or after its kind. Let me tell you the difference between micro-evolution and macro-evolution. I received a letter after I preached the sermon, Genesis against Darwin, by a man sitting here, God bless him and God help me, who said, why were you preaching a sermon on evolution? Why were you proving that evolution is right? I said to Beverly, Lord have mercy upon that man. I could not have made it very plain. The whole point of the sermon was to show that evolution is a hoax. I told Norm Batiko. oh he said, don't worry, he probably just had his hearing aid turned off. Let me talk about microevolution, which I believe in. This good brother probably hadn't even heard that expression. That's all right. Microevolution is the ability of a species to breed within its kind. That's why we had the dogs. There are different sorts of dogs. Dogs can be short, they can be fat, they can be tall, they can be skinny, they can have long hair, they can have no hair. But my friend, they are dogs. And the cat that we had here, that beautiful cat that Janine brought along, that was a cat, and so was the tiger. Cats are cats, are cats. Dogs are dogs, are dogs. And men are men, and are men. And that means that there's variation within the men and the women. That microevolution, the variation within the species. And the Bible teaches that after their kind, but a snake never became a man, and a fish never became a monkey. Am I making it plain, seeing apparently I do not have the gift of clearness of speech? So the Bible says, after their kind. And so God placed limitations upon the variation. And men are men. And men came from Adam and Eve. Look at verse 14 to 19, please. I just have to try to be plainer. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. It doesn't say at the same time though. God sent them in, set them in the expanse of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. I believe it was a literal day and I believe that when God speaks the impossible happens. I believe that when God speaks even through me, when I'm preaching the word, the impossible can happen because it is the word of God. God doesn't need a million years to work on you. He can work on you today. You see? God doesn't need a lot of time because our God can do anything. Verse 20, God said, let the water teem with living creatures. Oh, here they come. Let birds fly across the earth, across the expanse of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the waters teem according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning. The fifth day. I tell you my friend what a day this must have been. I want to say to my friend who says "Uh, Pastor Carter. I agree with much what you say, but I cannot believe that these were 24-hour days. They had to be millions of years. Listen. How would the trees and the animals survive a day that, say, was a thousand years? Because then you would have a night that was 500 years. We're going to Siberia in a few days where the night is about 17, 18 hours. So cold. How would it be if the night was 500 years, 5,000 years? It is an utter impossibility. These are 24-hour days. We do not have to harmonize them with evolution. We don't need to because evolution is not true. Uh, I want you to notice, read on with me please in this wonderful, marvellous, exciting chapter. Verse 24 and onwards, God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds. I want to read it please. Livestock creatures that move along the ground and wild animals each according to its kind and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. I want to tell you something. I've been to Africa twice. I've been to Wanky National Park on safari twice. I wish I'd been there when God made all these animals. I've come to a watering hole just before sunset with Beverly and our Carter Report team stay with us and you may get to Africa I had wanted to see a herd of elephants we'd only seen their droppings steaming in the sun but when we got down to this lagoon there were these great elephants I got out with my Hasselblad Walked down towards them. I was not going to miss this. No more dangerous than having a tiger in church. And a great African bull came out, lifted up his ears, and walked towards me. And as he came towards me, he lifted up his trunk, came within 50 feet, and just said to me, Stop. (laughs) Then as we drove back to camp, we had to drive. Along this road, and as we drove along this road, we saw a sight that I will never forget. Hundreds of elephants, bull elephants, female elephants with their little calves, moving. As they came, the earth was moving, and the sun was going down in a blaze of redness. Hundreds of elephants, we had to drive right up past them. One great bull detached himself from the herd and came after our vehicle. The driver had his foot flat to the floor. We had our cameras going, looking through the lens of my camera. At one stage, all I could see was an elephant's eye. And we could hear the thunder of his mighty feet and hear the greatest sound that I've ever heard. The blast of the trumpet. He wasn't trying to hurt us. Just telling us, get back, go. (laughs) Then he wheeled off. We saw lions on their prey. We saw hippos. We saw rhinos as close as I am to you. We saw, saw it all. I went down at night to meditate beside the Zambezi when everybody had gone to sleep, hoping I would see a hippopotamus. Heard these noises, heard the baboons. Went back to my room, and the next day the guide said, How interesting, a lion walked here last night. A lion was walking around here. I have seen the beauty of Africa. What must it have been like when God said, Let there be lions, let there be tigers. Hmm. What a world. You say you took millions of years. Well, no, your God is too small, friend. Your God is too small. He's just a little tin pot God. But now we come to the climax. Verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. Who am I? I am a child of God. What am I? I am a child of the almighty. Why did the communists torture Alexander Solzhenitsyn? Why is there brutality in Los Angeles and in New York? Why do people live by the gun? Because people have lost sight of the grand and glorious truth that every human being is a child of God. Nobody is unimportant. I say it to the Russians and they love it. And they rise up and they worship God. You are a child of God. You are distinct and glorious. I'm distinct and glorious? Yes. I'm a child of God. I'm not a son of the apes. I am a son of God. I'm a fallen one but I'm still a child of God. Still a child of God. Got something here that somebody who came to Pasadena gave me. Here is a Roman coin. A denarius. 2,000 years old. With the name of Caesar. Written in the Latin. And there you can see the face of Caesar. It is battered. It is not a very good image, but it is still there. And when you look at me, I may be battered, the image may be mud, but I am still a child of God. How do you treat people? If you do not understand that man is made in the image of God, you'll treat him like something, nothing. And churches and committees often treat people as though they're dirt. That's because they do not understand the biblical concept. That is because they are in positions where they shouldn't be. How do you treat people? How do you treat the poorest person in this church? Treat him with respect. He's a child of God. That little old lady who doesn't know much... May be a nuisance to you. She's still a child of God. You may find it hard to see the image. But look closer. And you will see the image of not the emperor of Rome. But you will see the image of the God of heaven. Child of God. You can't understand this unless you understand these verses. Stalin said the death of a million is a statistic. The word Adam is an interesting word. It comes from the word man. Man. Adam. It means to shine. It means a ruddy man. Hear this? A ruddy man. One of the soil. One who is shining. One who is distinct and glorious. I may be marred, but I'm still a child of God. It says God created male and female. He created Adam and Eve, not as somebody has said, Adam and Steve. There is no teaching in the Bible for the unity of of sexuality. Verse 8, God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. It doesn't say replenish the earth as in the King James Version. That is an incorrect translation. It says, God blessed them, said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Therefore, God invented sex sex was made by a loving creator god verse 29 then god said i've given you every seed bearing plant on the face of the whole earth every tree that has fruit with seed in it they will be yours for food and all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground everything that has the breath of life in it i give every green plant for food and it was so man was made To be a vegetarian. My daughter Julie, I helped her. I supplied the deposit. (laughs) My daughter Julie, who is a nurse, has just taken delivery of a new Honda motor car. Was she proud? She was driving a beat-up old Volkswagen that had done 115,000 miles, the steering was hatted and everything was falling apart. She said, Dad, what a step up. (laughs) Yeah, and a slight step down for me because I had to pay the deposit. But I said to Julie, Julie, are you listening to your father who's writing the check? Read the manual. It'll tell you how to make it run. If you want to know how to run, if you want to know what you ought to eat, if you want to know how you ought to be, read the manual. Amen. People say, but I've got better light. Don't kid me. This is the manual. It tells you how to live, and it even tells you what to eat. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, And there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The Sabbath then became the climax of the creation of the world. And I'll talk about that next week. But there's something that should warm and cheer your heart. The Bible starts with a beautiful world, it starts with paradise, it starts with Eden. Lots of fish in the sea. Lots of birds in the air, lots of lions and lots of tigers and lots of hippos, lots of beauty, lots of beautiful strawberries, lots of wonderful fruit, and a beautiful man and a beautiful woman. Did you know it ends up the same way? It ends up the same way. One day, because there is a God, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and new men and women. And they will live happily ever after.